Science with a Swiss touch. Science with a Swiss touch. Science with a Swiss touch. <laughs> Conversations between Swiss journalists and their international peers at the World Conference of Science Journalists, brought to you by Swissnex San Francisco. I'm speaking now to Carl Zimmer, who is a columnist at New York Times, uh, author of a certain number of books. How many books did you write so far? Uh, this latest one is 13. It's 13 books, which is impressive, I would say. And he's also a lecturer at the University of Yale, where he teaches scientific writing or writing to the, for the general public. He kind of got a certain number also of, of hours. I didn't jot all them down, but just want to give you an example, like the U.S. National Academy of Science Award, but many others. And yeah, because so many books he wrote, and uh, I only wrote three and a half <laughs> in my career so far. So I would like to know if you can share with me some of the uh, uh, tips or what I could improve or uh, some tips to get successful in writing books? Um, I, I think you need to find a subject that uh, will not let you go, a subject that is very deep and rich uh, that uh, you, you keep wanting to learn more about. Um, you, you obviously have to find something that's more than just what you could write about in a short article. Um, so, but when you find it, it's, it's a wonderful feeling because you just keep finding that more and more doors open into more and more aspects of the story. Right. So something which interests yourself, it's, some very, it's a very personal approach, something, something which uh, you would like to develop more. Or Sometimes it just starts with a simple question. So I, I once wrote a book uh, that started with just a simple question about the brain just wondering you know when did people start to think about the brain as being kind of where everything about ourself happens uh, and it turns out it was really only in the 1600s um, and you can actually go to point to particular places where that change happened and and uh, I started researching these people and these places and these events and it just just became this incredibly fascinating journey right wow cool so you have a kind of a triggering question so you, you have a just a question i mean uh, we, we tend to have many questions we journalists yeah. because of our work and then suddenly there is a question which kind of kind of stands out and you say wow um, mm, i would like to dig in this more and then these pop-ups with door to opens yeah mm -hmm. wow cool how long does it take to write a book? <laughs> it depends on the size of the book. Um, so I, I once wrote a very short book about viruses um, called A Planet of Viruses. And it's only about 100 pages long. Um, and that took mm, uh, several months um, because I was just writing a, a series of short essays about, I guess, uh, 12 viruses. Um, and there I was just trying to, to, to introduce people to like the the very basics about influenza or smallpox. Um, then there are uh, books where you know it's you know that it's going to be a big challenge. And so my latest book is called "She Has Her Mother's Laugh" and it's about heredity. And I knew at the outset that it was going to be a lot of work, um, and so I told my editor like 
you'll have to wait. So this that took between, I guess, two or three years to, to finish. Wow, okay, that's another size, that's another wait. How much do you spend in researching for the book and uh, how much percentage of this time span you actually spend in writing? Can you give us some mm. ideas? Um, it's hard to sort of divide that out because what you do is you do some research and then you start doing some writing you do some more research and you start you continue your writing you realize that there was some research you should have done that you haven't done yet you go do that research and then go back and write some more and so I I would be constantly going back and forth and not only that but um, you know this is a for a subject like heredity or viruses there's constantly new research going on and so people will um, be discovering new things and so you have to keep up with that and you might have to change your book at the last minute um, because something that you said was true turns out to be not true <laughs> so um, so maybe half and half maybe I, I, but I don't know yeah. do you have any way to get some feedback from your audience from your readership do you get loads of people uh, asking you questions or questioning your work yeah I, I uh, blogging was the first way that I was able to get that rapid response from readers which I really uh, enjoyed um, so I, I started blogging in 2004 I think and and that was one of the things that attracted me to it Twitter can be a good way to do that also just public events I mean I just like to go and speak about things and then take questions from the audience or just talk to people informally afterwards but yeah it's it's very nice because when you're writing it's a very solitary thing you're just doing it alone and it's nice to meet with people who share your interests about your audience do mm -hmm. do you think you are reaching out some more broad audience uh, and unexpected audience or you are mostly reaching out to Uh, uh, and a kind of elite of people who already can digest science and appreciate science? I want to reach as broad an audience as possible. I don't want to reach an elite. I don't write for scientists. If I meet a high school teacher who talks about how they're discussing an article of mine in, in a high school science class, I'm very happy about that. Making your articles accessible, inviting, you know, not, not making people feel like they have to have a PhD to understand it, that's very important. And then also just trying different formats. So I like to collaborate with people who work in different media. So a radio podcast show like Radiolab is really fun to work with because they have a whole audience that may not read an article I read in the New York Times. But if I get on the radio and talk to the host of the show about gene editing, I will reach these, these people as well. Which audiences you think are very, very difficult to, to reach, um, but you actually would like to, to reach? I guess I'd like to reach the audience of people who say, oh, science, that's not for me. You know, just who somehow feel like that's not something that's relevant to them or something that there's no way that they could understand. But I'm not a scientist myself, so, yeah. I, you know, I feel like... I. If I can understand it, they can understand it. It's okay. Is there something I should absolutely avoid when writing a book? Something uh, that I, it's kind of a, a trap 
in terms of approaches, methods, or so? You actually have to think when you're writing a book about how to limit it, how, how to make it short. Um, because the thing that is appealing about working on a book is that you can really tackle a very big subject. But the problem is that if you let that run away, you will be writing a 5,000-page book <laughs> because, you know, there's just so much. And, and you, you really have to actually say, like, well, what's the minimum I can get away with to cover this story properly? Because, uh, you know, it can get away from you. And then, you know, I know people who just try to write a book and just had to abandon it because it was too much. A lecturer at my science communication course in Australia who once told me, uh, Jacopo, remember, uh, overfill is overkill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, would you like to share with us some, some of the questions that you, you would like to address in another next book? And you <laughs> kind of give us your secret for somebody who might think, oh, that's a good topic, I will, I will catch it. I think a book that really takes a good look at machine learning would be very interesting. I mean, it would have to be the right sort of book. I mean, I think that machine learning is, is just changing everything across the board. And, and it's, it's happened very suddenly, actually. I mean, I remember when I was starting out as a science writer in the 1990s, we, ha we would write about the predecessor. We called them neural networks. And uh, so these are computers that have a structure vaguely like the brain, and it seemed, they seem to be able to learn things rather than being programmed to understand them. There would be a lot of claims about how great it was going to be, but nothing came of it. For literally, like, so for like 20 years, it just went quiet. And now it's all back. They don't call them neural networks anymore. They call it machine learning. Same thing. But it works how we talk to computers on the phone it's it's how computers recognize us it's how we're going to have self-driving cars it's how scientists discover physical part, particle physics this is machine learning trying you know teaching a computer how to read this huge cloud of data and spot spot the evidence of a particle so that is a big revolution i think and and i'm not sure what the right book would be for that but that would be a good one for someone to write <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, last question. So when will be published your, your next book? Can Some you announce us? Can you tell us? Do you have an idea about the date when it will be published? So my next book is called She Has Her Mother's Laugh. It's a book about heredity, sort of the past and the future of heredity. And um, it will be coming out in May. Published, uh, my publisher is called Dutton. Okay, so thank you very much, Carl Zimmer, for being with us this morning. And Enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you very much. Thank you. Science with the Swiss Touch. 